Hey, you're listening to the C3 Network Podcast with Dan Holland. Our mission is to create a network of micro churches that are finding, teaching, and equipping people to be on mission. Our hope is that this encourages you. Be sure to leave us a review so you can help us share our message with more people who need to hear it. And now, Dan Holland. Welcome back. Let's continue in our study of Ephesians called Live the Life, because that's what we're called to do, not just be Christians, but live like it. And today we're in Ephesians chapter two. Let's launch right in. Verse one, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is it now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. You see, the turning point of our passage today is chapter two, verse four, where he says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, Just how great is God's love for us and how rich is his mercy? Paul answers this question by looking back and looking forward. He looks at the cold, hard facts of where we came from. Not always great. And then nails down just where we are right now. I ran across a phobia that I had never heard of, but evidently it's no joke. The clinical name for the phobia is kinemorphophobia. Any guesses as to what? people who suffer from this phobia of fear. Kinemortophobia is the fear of zombies. From what I can gather, this is not an officially recognized phobia, but nobody denies this fear is fairly common in our society. All right, now most of us are probably, we kind of chuckle at kinemortophobia, but what if I told you that the walking dead are real? Not only are they real, but I used to be one of them, and so did you. See, this is the message of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. The word that's translated live literally means walk in the original language. None of us were ever flesh-eating zombies, of course, like the ones that we see in the movies. But every single one of us was the walking dead. Dead in our sins, walking around like spiritual zombies, just kind of going through life, just living to please ourselves. Now, I want to contrast that with God and what he has done, starting with verse four again. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're the walking dead, spiritual zombies, dead in our sins, living to satisfy our desires, disobedient, but God showed up and had a plan. But God, those two little words say it all. 
What should have turned out awful came out good because of God, but God. See, the word Paul uses for sin is harmatia, which simply means to miss the mark or miss the target. A person shoots an arrow at the target and he misses. That's harmatia. Sin is the failure to hit God's target or his standard. See, at some point, we came up short of hitting the mark of God's standard. Whatever the transgression looked like, it had the same effect on us as zombie bite. The transgression or sin didn't end our existence. However, it did leave us in a perpetual state of spiritual death. That's really the story of the Bible. You used to be dead, but because God is rich in mercy and he loves us so much, he saved us and he made us a part of his family. And praise God that he did, because here's the thing about being dead. You can't save yourself. And never once has a dead person turned to the ER doc and said, hey, would you mind handing me the shock paddles so that I can try to get this ticker of mine beating again? But this is what the walking dead do all the time. It's why so many run after status, relationships, and wealth. They hope just a little more will shock their dead spirit back to life. It's why some, it's why some people just run to religion. They believe that they can save themselves by being moral or doing good or, or thinking right. Paul reminds us that the only reason we have life is because God in Christ Jesus gave up his life. Any thought that we might have from time to time that we had anything to do with our salvation is absolutely ridiculous. So how bad off were we really? See, Paul makes it clear that our lives were like what, what our lives were like BC, and I don't mean before COVID, I mean BC before Christ. The bottom line is that when God first loved us, we were dead in sin and we needed forgiveness. We were disobedient and we needed a new spirit. We were depraved and we needed a new mind. And gee, thanks a lot, Paul. We were without Christ. But that's exactly his point, isn't it? We were in that condition without Christ. You might be thinking, maybe some people, but not me. I grew up in the church. The only God I have ever worshiped is the one true living God who made himself known in Jesus Christ. Really? You've never bowed at the altar of money or, or power or popularity or sex? See, these are the gods that our culture promises will give our life meaning and satisfaction. I'm confident there's not one among us that is not bowed a knee to at least one of these gods at one time or another. That's how we used to live. But God is rich in mercy. The reason we live a life of high moral standards is because of God's mercy. Now, the demonic world is real. People living in the first century world of uh, Asia Minor held a very deep belief in the demonic realm that inhabited the air, the water, and the earth. They were superstitious, in fact, just like many people are today. Not only did they believe in demons, but they lived in dread of how these demons might interfere and manipulate their lives. But part of the reason Paul wrote this letter was to relieve that fear. In Paul's view, the fear of, de of the demonic is laughable, as laughable as as a phobia of zombies, but not because demons aren't real. The demonic is, is real. Specifically, Satan is real. 
Paul leaves no room for doubt about this matter. Paul states very clearly near the end of his letter that we are at war with the spiritual forces of evil. And later in this series, we're going to look deeper into that unseen reality. However, for now, we simply want to recognize that Satan is not only real, but he works in direct opposition of the Holy Spirit. See, the desire of the Holy Spirit is to lead us along the path of God, while Satan does everything within his power to convince us to carve out our own little path, go our own way. More specifically, he pulls out all the tricks to convince us to be our own God. In this text, Paul reminds us that every single one of us fell for one of his con games at some point in time a con game in which Satan promised us glory, but what he delivered was death. And this is how we ended up among the walking dead. Instead of listening for and responding to the voice of God, we became consumed with thinking about and pursuing our own desires. See, in a world where people are led by their desires instead of the God of the universe, do you know what happens? Much like a really scary zombie movie, we end up consuming one another. We chew each other up emotionally, relationally, financially, spiritually, and spit each other out. In verse 8, he just said, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by your works so that no one can boast. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Grace. I'm not sure we totally understand this word, this concept. Grace in the New Testament is usually derived from the Greek word charis. It means favor or kindness, blessing. It's a gift. It's when you're given something that you don't deserve. Probably the best definition of biblical grace actually spells the word grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. You see, in Christ, God gave us riches. And that's what we've been unpacking a lot in Ephesians. Everything we have in Christ and the price he paid to give it to us. It's a gift. He gave it to us. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. He just, he just gave it to us because he loves us. Have you ever had a gift that you'll never forget? I love gifts. Recently for my birthday, Beth called to ask if I'd be interested in driving a race car at the Daytona 500 Speedway. Um, yes. So in two weeks, that's what I'm going to be doing. Trained, and I'm going to drive a race car on the Speedway. Now, I haven't experienced it yet, and I'm already enjoying it. Let me just ask you for, for a second. How would it change your life if right now you really believe that God loves you? Not everybody, but just you. And not just loved you, but really loved you. Let's say that it's true that you're the most important thing to him. How would that make you feel? Now, does that change anything? What a gift. Does that add some value to your life? Does that maybe pick you up when you're feeling down? Does it maybe give you some meaning and purpose? Does that help prioritize some things maybe for your life? Does that make you want to live just a little bit differently or maybe make some better choices? Here's an interesting fact. During the first part of the construction of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, there was no safety device used. 25 men, 25, fell to their death while working on that bridge and died. In the last part of the construction, they put out a large net that was worth $100,000 so that they would be safe if they happened to fall. Still, many of the workers fell, but they were saved by the net. They also found out something else. They noticed that 25% more work had been done because of the assurance of safety. There is safety and freedom 
in believing the truth that God loves you. And not only did God save us, God placed us. That's what he says in verse six. It says, God raised us up with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, obviously, God has not taken us out of the world physically, but spiritually speaking, we have a new home address. We are citizens of heaven, not someday in the future, but right now. And with this new place of residence come a lot of blessings. We talked about that a few weeks ago. One of, if not the blessing Paul wanted his audience to take hold of was this, they were secure. Since they now had dual citizenship, Ephesus and the heavenly realms, there was no reason for them to fear the demonic. You see? Likewise, there's no reason for us to live in fear. Does Satan still try to flex his muscles from time to time? Of course. However, the reality is that he has no authority over us. Aren't you glad? We can live secure, secure in the power of Christ. You see, I think the reason God keeps telling us how much he loves us is because we forget it. We don't believe it. We can't accept it. And even those of us who believe it intellectually, we don't receive it emotionally. While we may sign off on a statement of faith, we don't really let this truth change our life the way God wants. Because when it hits you, when it really hits you, how much he loves you, how much he went through, how much it cost him, how much he's given us, how much he gave up, it, to just, just to give it to us, it wasn't like God snapped his fingers and said, you're forgiven. He went to the cross for us. He didn't just say, I love you. He showed it. He suffered and bled and died. And to show us the extent of his love, so we'd never forget the gift? Well, it's why we take the Lord's Supper every week. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. See, we remember the gift because of his great love for us. Does God love everything that you've ever done? Nope. The poor decisions you continue to make from time to time? Not a chance. God hates our sin, always has, always will. But his love for us has never faded, nor will it ever. And as we are going to see in a few weeks, one of Paul's great desires for the believers in Ephesus was for them to be rooted in God's great love for them. This is so important for our lives as well. Why? It's when we feel unloved. Listen, it's when we feel unloved that we are especially susceptible to the influence of the world, of Satan, and our own desires. And in the middle of reminding us about this amazing gift that we've been given because God loves us so much, Paul says this in verse 10. This is so beautiful. For we are God's workmanship, his handiwork. Just in case we forget how much God loves us, or we don't really get how special we are to him, Paul wants to make sure we don't miss it. And he uses a word, a special word. The word in the original language referred to a poem or a work of art. It's something that's handmade. Some other versions translate this word masterpiece or work of art. And part of what this word is, is to do is to remind us of whose we are and how special we are to him. You're the best thing God ever made. Quit living like something less. You're the crown jewel of God's creation. Start living like it. You're the reason Jesus gave his life because of his great love for you. Receive that love and be changed by it. 
For we are God's handiwork, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now that says a lot. God didn't just give us a gift. He gave us a responsibility. He didn't just create us. He created us for a purpose. He didn't just save us so that we could sit around being saved. He saved us to send us. And God didn't save us just to put us on display. God saved us to put us to work. Now, how how will that happen? We must tune out the voice of the culture, Satan, and our selfish desires and tune in into the Holy Spirit. Turn off the walking dead and open the Bible. Get off social media and pray. Push away from the table and fast. Do the work of being present with God. You know, one of the things about a gift is you don't earn it or deserve it, but you do have to accept it. And we talk about this a lot, but in our faith, there's God's part and our part. And God's part is our deal in this thing. He gave us the gift. He offered us his grace through Jesus. But that gift is only good if it's accepted by grace through faith. Grace is God's part. Faith is ours. Faith is accepting the gift that God gave us. And for some of us, it's our pride that keeps us from accepting it. I don't want to admit that I need it. I don't want to admit that I'm a sinner. I don't want to admit that I need grace. Well, that's on me. The gift has been given. It's up to me to accept it. God created us. We're his handiwork, but he created us to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. See, we have a mission. Our abilities, personalities, and physical features are no accident. God crafted each one of us just the way he wanted to. See, God crafts each of us by using his skill to shape our personalities and give us the abilities and appearances that he's chosen for us. No one is created just like another because no one has the same purpose that God has given each of us. See, Paul also tells his readers that God's purpose isn't something he dreams up along the way. God prepared his purpose for us long ago, before the foundations of the world. We're valuable because God loves us. We need to remember that God is the poet. We are his poems. And this gift, it wasn't just meant for you and me. We get it so that we can give it away. What good works has God prepared in advance for you to do? Are you doing them? Are you serving? Are you living on mission? Are you sharing? Is there anybody you're sharing Christ with? Are you showing people the love that God's given you? Not out of guilt or obligation, but out of an overflow of the love that he's shown to you. Jesus reminds us life is actually found in death. Matthew 16. Jesus said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. This is what distinguishes between the living from the dead. The walking dead are all about trying to find life. The alive in Christ are all about looking for the ways to die. So let me close by asking a very simple but important question. Who would people say you dwell among? The living or the dead? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace Even as I read this and and wrote this message, reading this passage, I have this fresh appreciation, Father, for how magnificent 
your love for us is. How incredibly wonderful it is that what we used to be, we are no more. And that wherever we are, we are never so far that you cannot find us and that we cannot be saved. Your love is amazing. And what's more than that, you don't just save us, Father. You have prepared in advance work for us to do. Father, I pray you will open each one of our eyes and let us live daily with great intention on mission. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this podcast, we post a new episode each week. So be sure to subscribe and leave us a review so you can help share our message. We'll see you next time.